Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And welcome in on a good-looking Saturday morning. Uh, I'm going to have some high winds to start off with, but they're going to be subsiding a little bit later and really falling down to 5 to 10 by tomorrow and got a good tide range. So if you find a little clean water, you might do some pretty good fishing. Had a great trip down to uh, Delacro this week under some really tough conditions. Uh, but we found some scattered speckled trout, a few redfish mixed in, even caught a beautiful freshwater catfish. And uh, one of those days when the, the plastics outfish the live bait. We had live shrimp, nice live shrimp, but the uh, lemonhead matrix shad seemed to be the bait of the day. Uh, by the way, if you're going to be fishing around the Eden Isles canals, if you catch any uh, fish in there, you might uh, – Check them out. There are probably going to be some deadly Dudleys in them. I threw, I threw 2,500 of 3,000 deadly Dudleys to the crowds on the bank, and uh, either because they dropped them or my arm was not what it used to be, uh, they didn't make it. <laughs> they went into the bayou, and uh, hopefully some fish made some use of them. But I uh, had a great time. I was a Grand Marshal crew of builds last Saturday at the uh, in-water parade over there. I had a great time. There were 31 boats uh, Weather held up for us. Crowd was great. And I was uh, costumed as the skipper with my uh, trusty sidekick, Mary Ann, on the Grand Marshal boat. And we had a great time. And I want to thank those folks, crew of Bilch, for making a, a very special day and, and trip. All right, it is. It's Mardi Gras time. But a lot of people take advantage of those extra days off to get out and do some fishing or some rabbit hunting. I also did that down in the uh, Braithwaite area down in St. Bernard Parish. And uh, we ended up with 23 wabbits. Had some excellent dogs. Randy Siebert's dogs are very well trained. Uh, they don't push too hard, and they can be called back when a rabbit breaks through. And we did have a few. There were some people who missed some shots. I'll tell you about that. And, uh, we had a couple cameramen out there and got some good footage, and you'll see that on an upcoming edition of the Fish and Game Report on uh, WWL Channel 4, on WBRZ Channel 2 in Baton Rouge on the Outdoors Report. should be next Thursday night. And then on a future episode of Bayou Wild TV, we'll also show you that. Rabbit hunting is uh, still popular, but not like it once was. And the main reason why people stop is not because they don't like it. Uh, it's just they, they don't have the access to the places. A lot of these areas that, that hold good concentrations of rabbits are leased up to deer hunters, and they don't coincide or they don't allow rabbit hunting on their leases. So consequently, it's uh, it's you got to get an invitation to somebody who's got access to the places to do it. All right, so th- this morning we got several things we're going to talk about. The Eagle Expo, we're going to talk to Kerry Stansberry about that. Boy, what a great story the comeback of the, the, the proud American Eagle is, and uh, glad to have those down here in Louisiana. In fact, I saw one that when I went rabbit hunting. Uh, I see them uh, in the marshes along the North Shore. And one of the places where they've got a really good population is down in Morgan City. And 15 years ago, they started what's called the Eagle Expo. It's kind of an eagle festival. And Kerry Stansberry with the Cajun Coast Visitors and Tourist Bureau is going to be talking with us a little bit later on this hour. Next hour, it's Hunt Fish Talk, uh, president of Louisiana Outdoor Writers Association, Wendy Billiot and uh, Keith Lusher, the host of North Shore Fishing Report, and also the owner of a website by the same name, 
Uh, Wendy attended one of the Speckled Trout public comment meeting, the one in Gray, Louisiana. She took some good notes, and she's going to fill us in on what was said there. Uh, there's more of those meetings. In fact, the listener that wanted to know about the one in Metairie, uh, I couldn't grab it last hour in time, but it is going to be this coming Wednesday, February 19th, 6 o'clock, East Bank Regional Library on West Napoleon Avenue in Metairie. Uh, I did a presentation there one time. As I remember, I think 500 is the capacity there, so it should have plenty of room, but I would still get there early. It's a 6 o'clock start. Uh, Slidell will have one the next night. That will be at the Slidell Municipal Auditorium uh, on Wednesday, the following week, Epps Memorial Library in Lake Charles, or the LSU Extension Office, I believe, is where it's been moved to. And then Rapides Parish Extension Office in Alexandria, that's Thursday, February 27th. And the final one is Saturday, February 29th, Lincoln Parish Library in Ruston. The purpose of these meetings is to inform, number one, to inform and educate the public about the speckled trout situation, what the data shows, what the science shows, and it's not good. So it also they will explain options on how to achieve a 20% reduction in the harvest for the stocks to recover over the next five years or sooner. And there's a wide range of options that can achieve that goal. The public has been invited to listen and then form an educated opinion on their preferences based on where they fish, how they fish. I had a good point brought up this morning by someone who uh, either fishes from the bank or kayak or pirog or all three. Uh, if they go too big on the side, the minimum size, it'll pretty much shut them out from keeping any fish. Uh, but then if you cut the limit and don't raise the size, you've got to cut the limit pretty drastically, maybe down to, I don't know, 10, 12 fish, something like that. Anyway, all of those options are being discussed. Uh, there was a meeting held in Baton Rouge on Thursday. And that one was at the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. They call it the Joe Herring Room. It's the headquarters on Quail Drive. Uh, David Cresson, uh, I believe he was in attendance. He is the director of the Louisiana chapter of the Coastal Conservation Association. He joins us to talk about the speckled trout issue this morning. David, thanks for taking the time and chatting with us. Did you make that meeting in Baton Rouge? I sure did, Don. We uh, we had a good crowd at, at the Baton Rouge meeting. Um, I'd say there was 150 people there or so. And uh, from what I understand, the meeting in Gray earlier in the week was about the same sort of crowd. And then uh, we had uh, we had our folks at all the meetings, and I think Lafayette on Thursday night was uh, was in the same ballpark. So people are clearly uh, interested in this issue as they should be. They should uh, they certainly should be paying attention, should be getting informed. And the meeting when, uh, Wednesday night in Baton Rouge was uh, I thought very well done, very informative. Uh, very interactive with the crowd, and um, a lot of good information. So tell me, uh, what were the reactions from the crowd? What were some of the statements that were made, the opinions that people brought forward? Yeah, it it ranged, Don, and uh, I I was glad to see so many people paying attention to this. I I think the important thing, and you said it right right off the bat, was this is an educational opportunity. This is to inform the public. Uh, they are not, Wildlife and Fisheries is not coming to these meetings with any decisions made. They're not, uh, they're not trying to push a certain, uh, a certain way of doing this upon anybody. They are looking for public opinion. Uh, in the room on Wednesday night in Baton Rouge, uh, there was clearly um, either concern to, to uh, strong concern from everybody in the room. Um, and 
you know, but it is interesting to watch the crowd as, as you tell the crowd that in order to achieve a 20% reduction in harvest, just going to 15 fish doesn't get you there in a timely manner. It kind of gets everybody's attention. They sort of sit back and go, wait a second. <laughs> so we have to go to uh, 15 fish and increase the size limit, or we'll have to go to 10 fish and uh, and uh, and not increase the size limit. So once the real information hits the room, you watch everybody kind of sit up in their chair um, I think everybody recognizes that uh, at some point, if the trend continues for certain, uh, we'll have to do something. Um, I'd like to know more information. Uh, I'd like to know how the information they're gathering today correlates to the information they have gather- gathered over the years. I'd like to know how the baselines correlate to each other. Uh, and uh, I think the department's done really a, a very, very good job of setting these meetings up, getting out into the public, not allowing the Internet to drive the, uh, to drive the agenda here because there's so much bad information on the Internet. It's, it, it's uh, comical almost. Uh, and uh, they've done a good job getting the information out on, the, uh, out on their own website. Go to Wildlife Fisheries website. You'll see the actual report. Uh, and, and form your, your educated opinion about this. But I'd say, Don, to answer your question, um, there's concern, but there's, there's some real thought going into what we can uh, sort of endure, for lack of a better way of putting it, when it comes to restrictive management. And I think that the public's going to have to play a role. David, um, as far as CCA's stance, uh, when do you think yeah. or if the CCA will form an opinion and make a recommendation of the coastal conservation? And how does your organization arrive at an opinion that, or recommendation? Well, yeah, well, we've got uh, these meetings are going on. Of course, we're in conversation with wildlife and fisheries. We, we've been in conversation with them long before these meetings for a long time. Matter of fact, we helped we helped them come up with the concept for the meetings and we thought it was important. We have a, we have our government affairs committee, which is made up of people from all over the state, from our chapters uh, who, who uh, we had a conference call about a month ago. We're going to have another one right after these meetings are over. uh, And then we'll have another face-to-face meeting in a few weeks uh, where we will develop what we believe is the best path forward. Uh, I will tell you right now we don't have that set because we uh, still have not gathered all the information that's out there. Uh, We're going to base our decisions, Don, on the very best science available. And uh, right now we we feel like the department's done a great job getting all this information together, but we want to make sure that um, we don't feel like there's more information necessary. Right now I'd like to know more. I'd like to know more about how – uh, how the high fresh water in the state over the last five years has has affected our stock, how uh, commercial bycatch affects our stock, how the hard freezes uh, in a couple of those years has affected our stock. And I know the department has considered all those things, uh, but it's just I think we need to know more. How uh, a good recruiting uh, class, for lack of a better way of putting, putting it, uh, in 18 and 19, uh, affects the fecundity of the stock as compared to more big fish. And and the department even admitted that there's some things they'd like to know more about that. So 
uh, I think in the next couple of weeks you'll see more and more come out of CCA as we learn, as we learn more. Uh, we're not going to rush to anything. We're not going to snap to any judgment uh, because, as you know, Don, uh, you know whatever decision is made on the management of this uh, of this issue, it, it's not just about how many speckled trout you and I can catch moving forward. It's it, it will have a great effect on all the businesses on the coast, all the bait shops, the marinas, the, the fuel docks, the, uh, the, the lodges, the, the charter captains, and on down the line. So we've got to take this very seriously. I think we've got to take our time. Uh, we can't take years, but we can take uh, a few months and, and really come up with a, um, a well-thought-out, uh, well you know, um, way to handle this so uh hopefully hopefully everybody will get really educated on this not depend on the chat rooms uh, and uh you know and express your opinion to the department david we're going to take a break we come back i got a couple questions since i haven't been to one of these meetings maybe you've they came up and uh, you heard some answers to them and maybe you can provide that for us so stick around we'll be right back after this time out david cresson director of louisiana coastal conservation association a reason i asked him to come on this association is very highly regarded by fishermen as an organization that looks out for the resource and also stands up for the fishermen too so we'll be back with more right after this time out you're listening to more outdoors i'm don dubuque good saturday morning and this morning we're talking with David Cresson of Louisiana Coastal Conservation Association about the spotted sea trout, better known as speckled trout management, public hearings that are set all across the state. We're almost halfway through, but there will be lots more coming next week. Uh, Metairie, you can catch it at West Napoleon Avenue's East Regional uh, Library, East Bank Regional Library on Wednesday at 6, Slidell Auditorium, uh, that's also a Thursday at 6 p.m., and then the following week, uh, there'll be one at the LSU Extension Office in Lake Charles. That's 6 o'clock. And then Thursday, February 27th, the Rapides Parish Extension Office in Alexandria. And the last one is at 1 p.m. That'll be Saturday, February 29th at the Lincoln Parish Library in Ruston. Uh, David, as far as uh, some questions that, that I would want to ask, and I'll be at that one in Slidell, and I think your North Shore chapter, uh, President Ben, is going to be there, too as will many other people. As far as the the mortality, what I understood, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously there's going to have to be more fish released, whether it's because of uh, limits or size limits. Um, I saw one of the questions they asked was, what percentage of my underfish size release will die? And they asked the the attendees, now, how would they expect them to know? And some of them got it pretty close with that 20 to 25 percent. Uh, but that was only 8%, and more than 25% right. was 26% of the people believe more than 25% will die. I, now, I have an asterisk by this, and, and Wendy prepared this for me. <laughs> she said that the biologists estimate about 25% of undersized fish return is about right for fish. Is that what you gathered from it, that we'd lose one out of four fish that's released? It, well, I uh... Uh, certainly of the smaller ones that was the indication we got as well um and that that was what they were trying to find uh by questioning the crowd was you know what is the impression of of how many of your fish are released now of course all the guys that fish around grand isle and uh in that area thought it was higher because the porpoises eat all the 
uh, eat or, or dolphins. <laughs> I, I never can remember if it's porpoises or dolphins. 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 Yeah. <laughs> they uh, uh, they eat all the fish that you throw back, but they were saying about twenty five percent of the of the fish we release. Of course, the smaller ones are less likely than the bigger ones. Uh, but when you're talking about fish you're releasing, the majority of those are going to be small. So um, that was the uh, that was the the answer given by the uh, the biologist. Now the overall uh, mortality of of those fish um ranges you know but, but they use about 10% not of the release fish but just overall uh fish mortality so fish mortality is a complicated thing it's it's again it's one of those things that uh, people think they know and they don't necessarily know what it means uh you know people think that if you you're using live bait and a treble hook that that it has a you know a different effect and certainly those things do but when when it comes to the science they they you know they they don't take those things necessarily into account so uh 25% is the number that i heard as well and um you know you have to wonder if all of a sudden you're releasing 13 inch fish in a, as opposed to 11 inch fish what's the mortality on those fish going to be as well so those kind of questions did come up look Look, if you're going to make me throw back my 13, 13 and a half inch fish, aren't those fish going to die at a pretty high rate anyway? And if the answer is yes, then you have to wonder whether or not that's the right way to go. So, again, the department's not made a decision on any of this. And I think that's really important to know that, you know, I see a lot of chatter on the Internet. Oh, they already know what they're going to do. And they're just trying to exactly. talk us into it one way or the other. And that is just false, Don. I, I can tell you, I'm mm -hmm. sitting in these meetings. We've had private meetings with the department on these things, uh, and they are uh, as cautious about this as as everybody else is. They don't want to. Uh, they don't want to enforce uh, unnecessary regulation. They don't want to be overly draconian about this. They want to do what's right for the fishery, as do we. And uh, no decisions have been made. I can assure you that. David, uh, was the argument brought up that the recreationals are the ones that are, are going to bear the brunt of the tighter regulations yeah. when, in fact, the, 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 you know, the bycatch from maybe some commercial activities or mm -hmm. other entities that may be consuming fish or causing mortality to fish are also to blame, and maybe they should point the finger at them. It, it apparently looks like the overfishing is only done by recreationals, and they're asking the recreationals to bite the bullet. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really important point, Don. And it was brought up in the in all the meetings that uh, either we were that I was in or that we had people in. People want to know the answer to that, and I'm afraid we just don't know the answer. Uh, the way the department describes it, and they're 100% correct. They only have a certain number of tools in their toolbox, and the tools that they have available to them on this. Uh, right now don't include anything like restrictions on bycatch or, or or otherwise right now it's only tools that would uh you know would be used to manage recreational harvest uh now should they be looking at those other things we certainly believe so uh and uh, you know cuz not only are, you know the bycatch is not just speckled trout it's lots of stuff that speckled trout eat so um, if that is an effect, then it should be considered. Now, 
I will tell you this, Don, and you know this, and I think your listeners know this. Recreational fishermen and women are the first ones in all cases to step up and accept good conservation matter. Um, uh, excuse me, good conservation efforts when they are necessary. We will be the first ones to bite the bullet. We always have been. We always will be. We're the ones to pay for the license fee increases when they're necessary. Uh, and when we need to do something to, to make it right, we're the first ones to, to do that. But should we be the only ones to bear the brunt of this? I think that's a question that needs to be asked. It's something that CCA is certainly going to uh, to continue to ask about. And I think your listeners should take that into account as well. Uh, certainly, we are not the only problem. Um, if we're part of the problem, then we'll do what we have to do to make it right. But we need to be looking at other factors, too. Very good. David, we've got another break to take. We'll come back. Uh, we'll get to answer a couple more questions about regarding the speckled trout uh, management hearings that's been going on across the state. If you're just tuning in, David Cresson is our guest, Louisiana CCA, getting their take on how these meetings are going and hopefully what will come from them. We'll be right back to continue that conversation. If you want to call and ask a question, we'll open the phone lines up at 504-260-6368. Or if you prefer to shoot me a quick text, and I'll pass it along to David. That is 87870. Comes right here to the studio. I'm back right after this. Hey, Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries has conducted several of their public meetings that are held to, to discuss the status of speckled trout and develop some options, present options, and have sportsmen and recreationals comment on which of those that they have a preference for. After looking at the data, they're making good presentations on the best science available in order to accomplish a 20% reduction in the harvest. David, uh, one of the things that I hear often from people is, once they take away limits, they never come back. And in some instances, it seems like that's true. A couple of questions with regard yeah. to that. Number one, uh, were any discussion made about how often or how frequently and when they would go back and do another stock assessment? Are they going to strictly wait for the five-year period before they even get a, an inventory on the the, 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 the whether these programs are successful in yeah. increasing the numbers of speckled trout. And if they do, is there some type of a, a safeguard that those limits can be raised again? I know you guys were yeah. instrumental. Without CCA, they would have never gotten that, that permit fee increase. And But you guys had it written That's in right. the sunset clause. If that money was not dedicated, it went away. Uh, is that Was That's that right. brought up about these regulations reverting back if we get a plethora of speckled trout and an explosion and we get more than we need as far as the, the biomass? Yeah, the, I don't recall that, that being discussed at the meeting as far as a sunset clause, but there certainly was the concern about once, once they change the limits, they'll never change back. And I, that is a discussion that, um, you know, that's been, that's been had in other forums. Uh, certainly that seems to be sort of the trend that, you know, especially when it comes to fish, once you decrease a bag limit or increase a size limit, a minimum size limit, you're, you're never going to go back uh, to where it was. You could, as you mentioned with the fee increase, you could put a, a sunset on it for a couple of years uh, and then require, the commission can certainly require, uh, that the department produce another stock assessment report uh, in whatever uh, time frame that they ask for. Uh, 
Uh, if they wanted another report next year, they could get one. If they wanted another report in two years, they could do it. Uh, and because they are out there gathering the data uh, all the time through, by the way, the LaCreel program that the new license fees uh, help pay for. They're using that. They're using the dockside intercepts. They use their, uh, you know, their in-the-water surveys of the of the fisheries. So uh, I do believe, Don, and one of the things I certainly would like to see, I'd love to see the 2019 numbers, because even though 2018 was not a, a great year in the report, it was actually a tick back up from 2017. So uh, maybe 2019 would show that it ticked back up again, and we're we're leveling back off to where we'd like to be. Uh, if we saw 2019 and it was it was even worse than uh, 17 or 18, then then certainly we know that 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 a, a management change is even more imminent. So uh, I think that that is absolutely something that we need to look at. But look, Don, there's so many other factors. I mean, we talked about the freshwater. We talked about the bycatch. Uh, nobody's mentioned really in these meetings, and we certainly will, the absolute degradation of our reefs around the state and how how that's taken into account. Our oyster reefs are being uh, are being decimated. Uh, of course, all the reefs that are being taken out of the water through the removal of oil and gas platforms, uh, not to mention just the degradation of the coast. So, well, again, we've got to make sure that any management changes that are put into place are, one, extremely well considered, not just a snap judgment. And two, maybe have a way to recover some of that, uh, you know, that bag limit or that size uh, after a couple of years if we see the changes, uh, you know, uh, this, the changes making a difference. Uh, you know, I've heard you talk about the 20% reduction and I chuckle because people say, well, uh, let's just change the limit from 25 to 20. That's 20%. Uh, wouldn't that help? I, I've, I, I've seen that plenty of times, and that is not at all what it is. Uh, 85% of the trips in Louisiana, 85% uh, of the trips in Louisiana result in 10 or fewer fish, and the vast majority of those are fewer than five. So you'd really have yeah. to make a big change to the bag limit. Uh, or the size, uh, the minimum size, in order to re you know achieve that 20% reduction, and of course you would want a way to get back to it if uh, you know if uh, if our if whatever changes we make uh, you know have the desired results. So uh, it's yeah, a great it question, it's something your listeners need to be uh, yeah they need to be aware of that. The commission will, I think, certainly have that in their minds when when whenever and whatever they do. Well, if they don't, I'm sure CCA will remind them. Um, I have a, 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 a listener. I have a listener texting this in. It's a good point. It says other than uh, the uh, money grab, other than the money grabbing state wants the revenue. Why not shut down the entire season for a year? At least we'll know quickly if WLF is correct. Doing it the way it sounds like they're gonna. This is gonna drag on until John Q. Public wakes up to a permanent 14 inch and 15 fish world i give you snapper as evidence he makes a good point however i did a poll on my website when there's first rumblings this was before the science was released 
asking preferences, and one of the preferences I offered, and of course this is not scientific, this is just my listener poll, but one of the options was that they would have open and closed seasons. Only 4% of the people were in favor of that. And I think a closed right. season would be an Armageddon. I mean, to the, the economics yeah. and the industry, I think it would be devastating. Well, Did they and discuss the, the anything way they about closing? Yeah, they did, and the, and the crowd did not did not like it at all. And you know, because when you think about it, Don, uh, you know, if you go closing January, February, March, you know, December, whatever, that doesn't change the harvest. Nobody's fishing then, uh, or at least relatively so. So, in order to to achieve the desired result of twenty percent reduction, you'd have to go closing down March, June, excuse me, May, June, July. August, whatever the months would be, when people are actually fishing, and nobody wants that. Uh, you know, an entire year of closed fishing, uh, as you said, uh, Armageddon for our for our coastal industries that that depend on. And of course, it's you know we're a fish first organization. You can't you can't make all your decisions decisions based on uh, the economy of the coast, but you do have to take it into account. You know, with snapper, by the way. Uh, I don't believe it was the draconian measures put on red sna- on red snapper fishermen anglers that that made the difference to the fishery. It was that they decided to um, you know to to go about managing it in a better way, giving the management to the states and also uh, the uh, you know the reduction in the the bycatch of the commercial industry of the of the small juvenile snapper had as much to do with it if not more than anything else. Frankly, the reduction of the shrimp fleet over the years uh, had a bigger effect on that than any management uh, changes they made. So, look, but I think the the public needs to make these kinds of ideas aware, or excuse me, available to the state. They need to get to these meetings. Uh, You said there's a meeting in Metairie next week. I know a lot of your listeners are in Metairie. Metairie has more per capita fishermen and women than anywhere in the state. That room should be full of your listeners. They are presenting their opinions to the state. Uh, And frankly, any angler who's not at those meetings or who doesn't go online and, and make their opinions known and get educated on it, is uh, is is just sitting in the cheap seats. So this is an important uh, an important you know couple of months for us. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, any decision is made is not made on a snap judgment is not made in a rush is made with every bit of information we can get uh, presented to us and uh, with everybody's voice as part of it. And and we'll I can tell you CCA will be there. We always are, and we'll make sure that. Uh, the decision is not made, uh, you know, in any kind of, uh, you know, uh, rushed manner. Uh, David, final question. Uh, when would you expect CCA to form that opinion and, and make a suggestion or a recommendation on behalf of the entire organization to the commission? Yeah, I would imagine uh, certainly when the commission decides to have their next meeting on it, uh, I, I believe we'll probably be in touch with them before they even have that meeting to to give them a heads up. Uh, but uh, I would imagine if the next uh, if the March meeting has um, has speckled trout on the agenda, you you'll see some testimony from us about uh, at least an updated version of where we are. Um, so I think it could be a matter of weeks, Don. Uh, 
and uh, and certainly our members will be uh, be the first ones to know about it. Great, David. Thanks for visiting with us. Uh, getting up on a Saturday morning. Uh, I want to let you get back to your fishing or parading or whatever you're doing today. But thanks for coming on, and we'll look forward to another visit from you as these public hearings close down and we get all the information, the feedback from the fishermen. I think that's necessary before a decision can be made for sure. Absolutely. Uh, we'll be at those meetings, Don, and I look forward to seeing you and some of your listeners uh, and, and make sure they're out there giving their uh, getting getting educated and giving their opinions. All right. We'll see you then. Thanks again, Dave. Thanks, Don. Bye-bye. David Cresson, Director, Louisiana Coastal Conservation Association. All right, right after this break, uh, Kerry Stansberry is going to join us and talk about the 15th Annual Eagle Expo. We go to from fish to birds, birds of prey, that is, right after this time out. You'll listen to more outdoors on WWL 105.3 FM HD2, and we live stream at radio.com. And going on today uh, is the 15th Annual Eagle Expo. We're going to be taking place down in Morgan City. And joining us to tell us the who, what, when, where, and why all about it is Carrie Stansberry with the Cajun Coast. Carrie, good to talk to you this morning. Good morning. Boy, what good a beautiful to be day to see some eagles, huh? Is it a gorgeous day it, or what? It is beautiful. And uh, we just realized there's a, a, a hawk nest outside my my office, so I'm, I'm bird watching as I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what's going on. What time are things going to get cranked up, and what's there for people who are interested in, a, in probably one of the biggest uh, conservation comeback stories in the history of the nation, the bald eagle? Absolutely. Well, we have uh, one boat tour has already uh, departed this morning. Um, we have uh, a series of speakers. Um, we have Delana um, LeBlanc, who's talking about red, the red knots. Uh, we have someone that's going to be talking, uh, Jane Patterson is going to be talking about wildlife. Um, and um, I'm trying to, we had several speakers this morning. Um, Stacy Ortego, who's talking about uh, gardening for wildlife. Um, and we have another guy who's going to talk about the ivory billed woodpecker to see, you know, is it extinct or not. Uh, and then yeah, we'll that's kind of um, like the. That's kind of like Bigfoot, that ivory bill woodpecker. Some people exactly, say they've seen them, exactly, but exactly. No hard evidence. Uh, I, I, I'm an optimist. I'm going to say, yeah, they're still around. I'm hoping they are. Well, you always hope there's hope for for all animals and and birds to uh, to come back or, or still be hidden somewhere. So, um, so uh, today. Uh, at the Cajun Coast Welcome Center is going to be where everything takes place, I guess, from 9 to 2 today. Is that the time? On yes. Well, uh, a second part of that, we do what's called the Water and Nature Expo, and that's where we invite the public to come in. Um, and we'll have booths. Um, uh, we have a lady who's going to talk about the Louisiana Purple Martins. Uh, we have Wildlife and Fisheries. LUMCON will be here. Um, we're going to have... Um, some other, uh, the litter, uh, keep keep Louisiana beautiful will be here, and we're just going to talk about um, uh, different things that, that excite um, the public, um, the kids. We're hoping to attract some young kids uh, to get involved, uh, to appreciate Mother Nature, to not litter, to protect our environment, and um, and to appreciate everything that's around them. Is there a cost in it? No, um, to come to the water and nature. Nature Expo from 9 to 2 is free to the public. Um, anyone can attend that. Um, but to go to the boat tours, you know, there, there is a cost, but um, we're making some deals for those. Um, 
We have a few boat tours that are still open at 2 o'clock this afternoon. If you're interested, give us a call. We'll cut you a deal. Cutting deals. With the Cajun Coast Visitors Committee. Good deal. Great deal. Well, um, as far as the uh, the, the eagle itself, uh, what would the chances be? Because some people have never seen one. I mean, I spend a lot of time in our swamps and marshes and woods, and, and I've certainly seen my share, and I, I travel. I've seen lots of them in Alaska. But some people have never seen a wild bald eagle in person. What are the chances that that would happen if they take one of these tours? Oh, they, they are most um, – we don't like to promise that they'll see them. Um, because it is, you know, it's wildlife. It's, it's, you know, we tell people um, years, many, many years ago when we first started the program and there were a lot less eagles, um, you know, one of the boat tour operators wouldn't go out because he said, well, they're not going to see birds. And I said, this is not a zoo. We don't promise anyone um, <laughs> that they're going to see birds. But we have never gone out and not seen, you know, 15 to uh, 20 eagles. Um we had some amazing uh, bird guides who um, who point out that the, the all types of birds that are flying are you know nesting or are hanging out in the trees. Um, but we've always seen the eagles, and you know, Don, I don't know about you, it's just something so amazing when you see a bald eagle, whether it's flying or whether it's sitting on a tree or uh, you know. Eating uh, fish out out the bayou—it's just—it's just amazing to watch. They are majestic, is the best word I could describe uh, a bald eagle, and it just kind of takes your breath away. Something else that's very impressive is the nest that they build. I'm sure you've you've got nests that will be on display for people when they go on the tours. We do, and um, interestingly, I was talking to one of the boat tour operators, and he lost um, two nests from Hurricane Barry. And I had totally forgotten um, that we had Hurricane Barry, but um, but he said there's two nests that are that are not there. But yes, they most have a nest, if not a couple of nests that they 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 go by. And at one time, uh, Wildlife and Fisheries, you know, there was some concern. Um, you know, was that when you're riding by it? And according to Wildlife and Fisheries, because we have such a, a a huge oil and gas industry, and, and these birds are used to boats all the time, um, that you can go and, you know, as long as you're not harassing the birds, um, you're perfectly safe to do to, to, well, to ride a boat near the nest. From the nest I've observed, they usually pick the tallest tree, and they are well out of the way, way of out access the, yes. to it. And why yeah. is it held in March? Is there a particular reason this time of the year is better than others for yeah. to have the expo? We initially started it because it's a lot easier with the trees that are dead um, to see the eagles in the trees um, because you don't have all that green, uh, all the leaves. Um, and I, also at this time, they are, you know, they're, they're feeding. Um, the, the eaglets have hatched, and um, and and so they're they're feeding. Um, the eaglets and and they're teaching them how to fly and so there's just a lot of activity at this time of the year and so that's why we selected um february you know carrie while the eagle is certainly the focus of the expo uh, i know they, they they work with other birds too the owls the hawks the falcons uh vultures you know they are all classified as raptors and i'm sure uh if not seeing them in person they've also got a lot of information that people can find out about them Yes, in fact, we have at 11 11 a.m. today, um, the LSU uh, Raptor Rehab Program will be here. 
and they they're going to have some birds. We also have uh, we had a group they they've since left, but we went to uh, several of the junior highs, and um, they had wings called it was called wings to soar, and they had several um, they had about seven raptors that they that they showed um, to the to the students uh, throughout St Mary Parish. That's fascinating, birds. Carrie, tell me, who are the visitors? I mean, is it mostly local people from in Louisiana, or do you draw a lot of tours from out of state for this event? No, interestingly, we get, um, like this week, we have some people from Oregon and Minnesota. If um, So the snowbirds will sometimes will see um, our information, and so we are getting a lot of people from, uh, but most I say 75% are from Louisiana, um, all the way from Shreveport, um, you know, Covington, uh, Lake Charles. So we do get probably about 75% of our visitors to Eagle Expo are from Louisiana. But I guess, you know, 25% are, are those visitors who stopped at the Welcome Center or who um, are snowbirds and heard about it um, and, you know, or, ha- or stopped at our visitor center and heard about it and decided to come back. They may have um, stopped in, gone to New Orleans for a couple of days, and then came back um, to Morgan City for the Eagle Expo. Great time. Carrie, if you would, give us a website if someone wants to look up for directions to drive to the area where it's being held and also for a full list of what's happening today. What's the best website to visit? You can go to CajunCoast.com. Go to annual events and look up Eagle Expo. So it's cajuncoast.com. Very good. Carrie, uh, congratulations on pulling this event off. It's uh, really a, a shining star for our state to be able to host this each and every year. Now 15 years and going strong, and it's a great story of the comeback, and there's more bald eagles now than I think we've ever had in the state and probably in the country. And if someone uh, hasn't done it, it's a bucket list item for sure to see a wild bald eagle. Absolutely. Well, Carrie, y'all have a great time down there. Thank you for visiting with us and the great job you guys do down there at the Cajun Coast. And, Don, thank you for having us on this morning. We appreciate it very much. Quite welcome. Thank you again. Thank you. All right. That is Carrie Stansberry. Uh, yeah, if you haven't seen a bald eagle, uh, you're not going to get a better chance. All right, wait, I got a, a report in here from Jerry from Kenner. Let's see, this is for me to report. There's an eagle's nest in Metairie off Kewanee Avenue and James Street, lakeside of Kewanee, second house from the corner. An eagle nest. I'm going to have to check that out. That's a strange place. What kind of, is it on the, the power pole, Jerry, or is it in a tree? I'll tell you where there's one. And I thought it was lost for good because it went away, but then it came back. If you're coming in on to New Orleans from I-10, uh, right where it splits to, to go across the, uh, the, the Hell Boggs Bridge and where you keep going straight and takes you into Kenner from the Bonnie Carey Spillway when you come across, uh, on your south side of the interstate, there's a huge cypress tree. It's the tallest one there. And at the top of it is an eagle nest. And there's no mistaking an eagle nest from any other nest. I mean, this, this they are huge. And there's one there, and the, the eagles left it. And I think it was destroyed in one of the storms. But they went back and rebuilt again. And there's another one that is on top of the power line. And that one, if you're crossing I-10 into Mississippi from Slidell and Pearl River, 
It's on the south side of the interstate where those uh, power lines are, huge power. They're, they're taller than any of the trees. The, the wires are above the trees, and I guess that's by design. And at the very tip top of one of those, right before you get to, I guess that would be the West Pearl. I mean, no, it's probably the East Pearl because it's just before the borderline between Mississippi and Louisiana. Uh, check it out. You can see it plain as day. Also, there's a little viewing area where the intersection of Highway 90 uh, is with uh, that goes uh, out towards where the old white kitchen used to be. There's a, an area there with a walkway, a boardwalk. You can park, walk out there, and there's a very good chance you'll see a bald eagle there. All right, Jerry's giving me an update. It's in an oak tree, he said. Yeah, second house from the corner, James Street and Kiwani Avenue. You can have your own little eagle expo out there. Gorgeous birds. I tell you, there's so many of them in Alaska. It's incredible. And uh, uh, thing about those Alaska eagles, they they tend to eat uh, uh, <laughs> the 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 droppings of the the waste, and fishermen clean their salmon and throw them in the river for recycling. Uh, bald eagles are all along the bank like seagulls, scooping them up. That's the lazy ones. But when you see one uh, do his thing and soar down and grab a fish and fly off with it, I tell you what. It's a breathtaking sight. Wonderful bird. All right, coming back after this CBS Sports Update, it's Hunt Fish Talk. Keith Lusher, Wendy Billiat going to join me. We're going to continue that conversation on the speckled trout changes that are a coming to Louisiana. Stick around. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.